0: Father, again, we thank you that you are so good, that you're present, that you're with us. Thank you that as a church family, there's just so many ways that we're able to uh, connect and grow deeper together and grow uh, more in you, but also then to be outward facing. I want to thank you for the beautiful um, event that happened, Serve Saturday yesterday, and um, just the, the lives that were touched, the people Uh, in that memory care facility who received the love of jesus again from from folks in this church family god i thank you um yeah that that you're just up to some good things and thank you that we get to be a part of it um pray this morning now that you would be at work in our hearts uh, in our lives and and through this message lord i know it's not up to me saying it right um We're saying it perfectly. Thank God it's not up to that um, because what it's up to is you. So if your Holy Spirit would come um, and move in power, then what happens this morning could be of significance. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And move in power. Move in our hearts. We say yes to you in jesus name amen amen all right well here at hope um if you've been around for any length of time you know that we really treasure the bible that we have a deep desire to to go deeper into scripture and part of how we're approaching that as a church community um, is what we do with our messages on sunday mornings Um, We have been going through, story by story, the book of Luke, passage by passage. We've been in it for about a year. Um, It's going to take at least another year and a half, maybe two years. We do pause and do, like, you know, Advent before Christmas and Lent before Easter, and sometimes there's another thing that we feel called to, you know, spend a few weeks on. But um, it's part of just going deeper into these scriptures, Uh, and so... um, next week we will. We'll pause. We'll do the Lent series leading up to Easter. We'll talk more about what Lent is next week if you don't know. But this week, uh, we're back in our message series, Luke, uh, which we're calling Jesus for Everyone. Now, one of the things about going through these things, kind of hitting all the major high points, is sometimes there's just weird stuff in the Bible. It's just strange, it's odd, the temptation I think would be to skip it, but that's part of teaching through this is that it really presses myself and and Liz and Brandon and the other folks that teach here to actually go, okay, let's let's not just skip over stuff that looks weird or hard or difficult, let's see what God might be saying to us, and this is one of those strange episodes, because in the episode we're going to look at here, um, Jesus has a supernatural meeting with two other folks from the Old Testament, two, two ancient Old Testament heroes, Moses and Elijah, who by the time Jesus shows up, they've been gone for centuries, but here they are in this episode. So as I read it in a few minutes, if it sounds bizarre, um, that's because it's a little bizarre, yes. <laughs> it's a little different, it's a little odd. Um, but this passage is really deep with um, symbolism, it's rich with meaning. And this story here that we're gonna look at, it actually reminds us, it really reinforces Who Jesus is. See, that's a central theme throughout the book of Luke. We want to know who Jesus is, and Luke keeps reminding us and telling us who Jesus is. This passage that we're going to look at also, besides showing us who Jesus is, it's going to give us some insight on how it is that we read the scriptures, particularly maybe even the Old Testament. How do we read the Old Testament today? Um, So, Hang with me. Uh, I hope this is going to be uh, helpful. But the way I want to start before we get to the text is to tell a story from my own history. See, back when I was in high school, so like just a couple of years ago, um, no one laughed. Oh, man. Wow. You're feeling sorry for me. Um, yeah, so a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, when I was in high school, uh, I had this major paper that I had to write, and we were allowed to pick a controversial social topic, and we were supposed to argue, why are we for this thing, or why are we against it? And although it was a public school, the the teacher um, said, hey, uh, we're going to allow you, I'm going to allow you to support your argument for or against on moral grounds. If you want to look at the moral grounds of it, you can do that as well. Now... I was kind of suspicious, like, oh, sure, like, how fair is this teacher gonna grade me? Um, Because I was pretty sure that this teacher was not a Christian. I mean, he didn't go to our church, at least, you know. Uh, If he did go to a church, it was probably, you know, that covenant church down the street, so he couldn't be a real Christian, right? So, um, well, yeah, only a couple laughs from the first service, too. Yeah, no, that's, I told them they just didn't get me. You guys get me, Not, not happening, so... Anyway, so, so I uh, chose my topic, and the topic was capital punishment. And I was going to choose to argue for capital punishment why it was a good idea. Now, by the way, disclaimer here, I hesitated to even tell this story because it's not what this sermon is about. It's not about the death penalty, and I don't want you fixating on, you know, what you think of the death penalty or wondering what I think of the death penalty. So just, it's just an example, but hang with me because back then in all my, you know, teenage Wisdom. I decided I was going to argue for the moral, uh, we called it the Judeo-Christian support for capital punishment. And so I could find a lot of verses in the Old Testament that reinforced my argument and um, turned in my paper. I actually got a good grade, but the teacher made comments um, on the papers. And on my paper, one of the comments, and this is like, really, it's 35-some years ago. But what I remember is here I am in the name of, you know, writing a you know judeo christian support point of view for the death penalty i leaned into all these old testament bible verses and his simple comment was something like yes but what about the teachings of jesus i was like whoa like i was stunned right this i never actually honestly occurred to me that maybe Jesus would say or teach something that sounded different from another part of the Bible. I mean, none of the so-called Christian sources that I had looked at to support um, my argument, they never actually got to what Jesus taught at all. See, what had happened is I had used the Bible to support my argument, but I found myself a follower of Jesus who, oops, forget to consider what Jesus himself actually said. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know how to apply Jesus' teachings in instances like this. And in a sense, in a sense, you could say that I was, you know, biblical, but not Christian. Ooh, wait, can that happen? Yeah, that can, that can happen. That does happen. Um, now, it took me many years to actually, you know, eventually go to Bible college and all that, just to start to see and acknowledge, wow, that Christians sometimes use the Bible to argue with Jesus teachings right that Christians sometimes will use the bible as support for arguing with the teachings of Jesus and that's a bad idea wouldn't you say like to use the bible to argue with Jesus well this is no surprise to god that we get confused about what weight different passages or authority Jesus has and the authority of the other parts of the scripture. We get confused about that. That's no surprise to God. And I think that's maybe a part of why today's story in Luke chapter 9, and by the way, you can also find it uh, uh, in Matthew and Mark as well. But that's why this story was written down for us. So let's get to the text, shall we? Uh, Luke chapter 9, this thing we're going to read often is labeled the transfiguration that word isn't in the text but if you've heard of the transfiguration that's what this gets kind of uh, dubbed here Um, so verse 28 jesus took peter james and john with him he went up to a mountain to pray as he was praying the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning two men moses and elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with jesus they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions, they were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and saw the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is, it's good for us to be here. Let's, uh, let's put up three shelters, uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, in parentheses. I didn't put the parentheses, that's actually in the text. It says, he did not know what he was saying, <laughs> right? Right. He's a nervous talker. Anybody else a nervous talker and you start saying stuff? Yeah, okay, a few of us. He, Peter goes for the nervous talker here. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared, covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him it's my son whom i've listened to him when the voice had spoken they found that jesus was alone so moses and elijah poof vanished listen to him poof, they vanished the disciples kept this to themselves they did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen like I said, this is a weird story right it 's a weird one, like Thomas Jefferson had a Bible that he cut out all the things that he didn 't believe could have happened, so miracles are gone, all kinds of things are out. This one definitely got cut out of jefferson 's but you can you can actually see it in a museum. He like went and cut out this one would have been cut out because it 's a weird story, but this story actually um, gives us some real insight into what 's going on when Jesus shows up and how that affects the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the law and the prophets, because those things were kind of a big deal, right? They were the deal. So, again, let me just summarize here. We read the text, but Jesus took three of his disciples, James, Peter, John, up onto this high mountain. This strange thing happens Jesus' clothes and his face suddenly begin to shine. Now, when Matthew tells that part of the story, um, he says it this way, Jesus' face shone, catch this, like the sun. Mark says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I didn't even know they had bleach back then, but that's pretty bright. It's pretty bright, right? And if that thing wasn't strange enough... Then, these two major heroes from the Old Testament also show up. There's Moses and Elijah. I mean, Moses had died 14 centuries earlier. 14 years, 1,400 years ago was the death of Moses. And Elijah, he had left the scene like nine centuries earlier. But suddenly, here they are having a talk with Jesus. They must have had name tags or something. I don't know how they knew, but that's who they knew they were. Now, this is where kind of some context and some study can be helpful. And so I had like, had to cut like a 10-minute chunk out of the sermon. because. So I'm going to try to summarize it here. You're welcome. Um, see, to the people of Israel, when you talked about Moses and Elijah, um, they weren't just heroes of the Hebrew Scriptures, we, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, right? Moses and Elijah represent what the Hebrew Scriptures are built on. Um, those of you that have done a little study in the Old Testament, then, you know, you would know, like, okay, so who is Moses? Moses is the lawgiver, right? So he's the embodiment of the books of the law, the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the Torah right there. So that's Moses. The Jewish faith was really founded on that. And who's Elijah. Well, Elijah was the central Old Testament prophet. So to say Moses and Elijah, when you say Moses and Elijah, they would hear, oh yeah, the law and the prophets, which you see that phrase in the New Testament every once in a while when Jesus or the Pharisees or other people are talking and they say the law and the prophets, um, which is a way to talk about the Bible or at least the Old Testament that we describe the law and the prophets. So now the purpose of the law and the prophets... From the time of Abraham forward was, was the purpose of this was to call God's people, all the way back then, God's people to love God and to love others. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? To love God, to love others. So when Jesus then shows up, he begins his preaching ministry. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry, just so no one gets confused, he says this in Matthew 5, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill them, to to complete them, says another translation, to fill or complete them. So here in Luke 9, when Jesus shows up and we've got Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, we've got the law And the prophets, um, together what we would call now the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they show up here in the New Testament, they show up before this glorified Jesus, and this is a signal that something new is underway, something new is taking place in Jesus, which the three scared-to-death disciples would have totally, they would have got that. They would know that. They would know the, symbolis- uh, the, the symbolism of this moment. And they would know the significance of this episode. But they were so frightened, they didn't know what to say. And perhaps, predictably, it was Peter who opened his mouth and said something anyway, right? Something like, you know, okay, hey, listen, Jesus, okay, I got this great idea. Hear me out. We got Moses right here. I mean, the lawgiver, legendary. He like split the Red Sea, defeated Pharaoh. Oh man, we got Moses right here. Whew, what a hero. And right over here, whoa, we got Elijah. I mean, we haven't seen Elijah, this prophet. for for like eight centuries since he flew away in that chariot of fire but now here he is and and I mean and Jesus you're here too that's cool that's awesome that's nice um so so let's do this let's make three tents three memorials something like that we could you know we could have one for Moses the lawgiver we could have one for Elijah the great prophet and, and one for you too Jesus and and maybe we could like bring people up here we like rent buses and sell tickets. And, you know, it'd be great. They'd just come up and they'd see Moses and Elijah. They'd see you too as well, Jesus. And as Peter's throwing all these ideas out, that's when God intervenes and does something he rarely does, which is to speak out loud audibly. God intervened in the middle of this bad idea that Peter had, speaking from heaven, calling it out as a bad idea, saying this, this this is my son. Yeah, yeah, you got the lawgiver. You got Moses. Yeah, yeah you got Elijah the prophet, right? But this, <laughs> here's the big deal. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And everything else kind of, I picture short-circuiting a little bit, and whoop, like there goes Moses and Elijah. They disappear, and only Jesus is left. There's no more Moses, no more Elijah, just Jesus because, you see, Jesus is what God has to say. Now, here's the thing. Even though Peter was kind of running off at the mouth, you know, sort of a stream of consciousness, the statement that he makes in there really does reveal an assumption that probably many of the people of that day, 2,000 years ago, um, they might have had the assumption that, you know, okay, okay, When the Messiah came, and they had just, you know, a few verses before this said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. When the Messiah came, then the law and the prophets would continue to be cornerstones of the faith. And then, so the Messiah, who then is Jesus, he, maybe they would have seen him as kind of like this third pillar who was just as powerful, maybe equal to the law, equal to the prophets. And so you'd have all three of these influences guiding the kingdom of Israel, the law, the prophets, and the Messiah, But here in the transfiguration, all of that gets corrected. See, as powerful as the law and the prophets were, and they are powerful, but next to Jesus, they really seem to vanish. That's where God the Father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. God doesn't say, uh, listen to the three of them. listen to him because Jesus is what God has to say. Peter, James and John, they get the message loud and clear that Jesus is the authority over all of it. That Jesus actually stands above, above, he stands above and over the law. He stands above and over Moses. His authority is greater than that of Elijah, the prophets. And if you want to know what God is like, what you do is you look to Jesus. If you want to know what God is saying, you look to Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say. I mean, think of this, um, let's see if this metaphor kind of works. Let's say we were trying to figure out what God had to say and who God was. It would be really helpful to have some light, wouldn't it? Just to have some light on the subject. Um, And when it's dark, if you have the moon, if you have some stars, it gives enough light that you can can see. You might even be able to kind of find your way. Particularly if it's a full moon, you can see way better. Has anybody ever been on a night hike in the desert in a full moon? Kind of a a couple of us. It's kind of a cool thing to do. Problem I didn't realize is that I need to keep, Benny didn't tell me I need to keep my uh, headlamp somewhere because we're going to come around a corner where the mountain like blocks by the and you can't see nothing. So um, keep that headlamp close because, uh, you know, there's stars. Yeah, there's some moonlight, but it's still a bit dark and shadowy. Okay, that's the moon and the stars. And so the law and the prophets are like the stars and the moon. They help us get a glimpse of who God is, for sure. Um, they, they'll even give us direction into what God might be saying. And I mean, without the law and prophets, the people of God from ancient days, they would have been completely lost. So the law and the prophets, just like the stars, the moon, very, very important. But when the sun comes up, <laughs> then we can see clearly. When the sun comes up, also, like, the stars, they're not destroyed. No, the moon isn't. You can even see, oh, there's the moon over there in the sky. It just doesn't actually have as much of a useful impact. See, once the sun comes up in the full light of the sun, suddenly all these things, the stars and the moon, were helping us to kind of see dimly, at least in the dark, Suddenly, in the light of the sun, our vision becomes much clearer. Now we can see what's just right there in front of us, because now there is light. And so Jesus, when he shows up, uh, he is far superior to the law and the prophets. The light of Jesus is like the sun shining brightly in all its strength. See, the light, the bright light of Jesus now helps us to see who God the Father actually is. That's why Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so with Jesus there, with the sun there, um, you start to realize that the moon, that the stars, couldn't nearly help us see what the fullness of God was like. And so God sent that blazing light of the sun in Jesus to clear up all confusion. It's not not the law plus the prophets plus Jesus all on equal footing. No, 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 it's Jesus. Jesus is the authority over and above the law and the prophets. He's not just an equal. He is the perfect revelation of God and what God is like because Jesus is what God has to say. All right. All right. So, nice theology, interesting words, hopefully inspiring. But how does this play out into our our lives? Why does this matter to you and me? Ready? So if you've been checked out, come on back, come back to me, come back, come to the light. (laughs) Try to make it clear, we try to make it plain, sometimes it's hard. So hopefully the rest of this will be pretty clear. Here's how this plays out for you and me. Um, Brian Zond, who Heidi and I love his his stuff, his books, his sermons. He sparked a lot of the ideas that have uh, contributed to what I'm teaching today. Brian said this. He said, the most clever way of all to hide from following Jesus or to hide from Jesus is like this. Not now, Jesus. I'm uh, I'm reading the Bible, right? Like when Jesus says... um, teaches love your enemies, Woo, no 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 not not now jesus i 'm reading the bible i 'm in the old testament and i 'm reading that part where Joshua and David and elijah they got to kill their enemies I love, I love that part, so thanks for the suggestion, but not now jesus i 'm reading from the stuff from the Bible that supports you know my preferences my you know my kingdom, um, which you know we can kind of do that um, Especially, you know, if we think that the parts of the Old Testament that don't jive with what Jesus taught, if we think those things are just as valid, like it's a flat text and everything in the Bible is equally the same, if we think that's what's going on, um, you could actually use the Bible to argue with Jesus, to refute Jesus. We might even think, well, you know what, I'm going to just pick and choose. Uh, Whichever one of the things in the Bible fits my kind of preferences today. Here's a couple examples. I mean, like the one I opened with, you know. Okay, so, Moses, in the Bible, says that we are supposed to practice capital punishment by stoning certain kinds of sinners. And if I want to endorse capital punishment, well, there you go, it's in the Bible. Or... If Elijah, if the prophets, the prophets, you know, call down fire on their enemies, and I like the idea of my enemies being torched, then there you go, right? But the problem is that would be using the Bible to argue with Jesus, because while Moses does say to implement capital punishment, Jesus says, well, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, so now what do we do? Or, or since Elijah um, did, he called down fire from hev- heaven on his enemies. But Jesus said, mm, no, no. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, now now what? Do I, do I just kind of pick and choose depending on the day or how m- my mood is? If you or I like the idea, I kind of really want a God, I kind of want a justice, I kind of want the kind of justice that's about getting even or even getting ahead and making them pay, then you could be like, you know, a well-known politician who claims to be a Christian but said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. Well, the problem, the problem with that... (laughs) is that Jesus said, you've heard the law said this. So you've heard the law, the sun and the moon, I'm sorry, the stars and the moon trying to reveal and light the way, but, but here I am now, I'm here. The law says this, but, but I say, here I am as the sun shining a bright light, I say this. For example, Jesus said, you have heard that the law says the punishment must match The injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's actually Leviticus 24. It's right there in the Bible. And then Jesus says, But I say, so you heard the law says this, but I say, Jesus says, Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Well, now what do we do? See, Jesus is shining a light and revealing. The heart of God, the way of God, the kingdom of God, and how it's designed to work in God's story, God's kingdom, God's way. You see this confusion show up, and I'll hit two uh, examples um, of where this kind of confusion gets confronted by Jesus in the Gospels. John chapter 8 is one of them. It's the story of a woman caught in adultery. If you know the story of the Pharisees, the religious guys, they bring her to Jesus and fling her down in the midst of this crowd, and they say, Rabbi, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And I'm always like, so, okay, then where's the guy? But they say, the law of Moses says to stone her, it's in the scriptures, so what do you say? Just notice right here how the Pharisees have weaponized the Bible according to their own twisted agenda. But to hand it to them, the Pharisees, they're at least correct in saying, hey, if you want to find a Bible verse to justify your position of violent punishment, you can can find those verses in the scriptures. And what does Jesus do? Verse 8. They were trying to trap him, trap him. Okay, well, Rabbi, the Bible says stone him, but what do you say? But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger. We don't, we don't know what he wrote. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again and said, All right, but let the one, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. I mean, Jesus is Genius. I mean, this is brilliant. He is so incredible. See, he knows the spell that they are under. They are under the spell of the mob mentality. Today's sociologists will, will, will tell us that, that we will do as a mob what we would never do as an individual. So they get caught up in this mob mentality and they're all bringing their rock. Kind of like how oftentimes today... Um, there are entire news networks, talk shows devoted to stirring a mob mentality to do and say things that on our own, especially as followers of Jesus, we would know better. But it's so easy to get sucked into the mob, and it seems to work. And right here, this mob is ready to stone this woman with the support of the Bible, the law. But Jesus says this, Let, notice this, let the one, so the individual, not the mob, let the one without sin throw the first stone. And it breaks the spell. His question forces for them a moment of self-reflection. They had to stop and examine their own life. Am, am, Am I without sin? No, I am not, and therefore... I'm not fit to throw the first stone, which means I'm not fit to throw any stone. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, which there's some wisdom in some of our older folks that I I hope I grow into someday. (laughs) Just some honesty. We got a lot of that here at Hope in our older folks, some honest wisdom beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Picture this. They lay down their stones. They depart until all that's left is the woman, Jesus, and a pile of discarded rocks. Now, the question's still on the table. A guilty party is right in front of Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Does he, like, whip open the Bible to Leviticus and say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it? Or does Jesus, because he is the only one without sin, and so he is eligible, does he cast the first stone? No. Verse 10. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Another translation says, then go and leave your life of sin behind. So, followers of Jesus, how is it that you and I want to treat folks that are caught up in a sin? I mean, Moses did say stoner, but Jesus gives her grace. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there's not really even an option to it because we, we listen to Jesus. We listen to Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say. See, any teaching, and again, all of the Old Testament, valuable, helpful, it's good. I wish I could teach on that part of it because we don't just throw it away. But when we read something in the Old Testament especially or any part of the Scripture that doesn't sound like Jesus... When we hold up the law and the prophets next to Jesus, guess who rises above? We go with what Jesus says because Jesus is what God has to say. Now, let me tell the other story from the Gospels that kind of pushes against this mindset uh, that we're looking at here. It's this mindset of the way of Jesus versus the mindset of the prophets of the day, the Old Testament prophets especially. Now, not long after this episode we looked at here in chapter 9 of Luke of the transfiguration, just a couple sections later, still chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem, but they've got to go through Samaria. Now, the tension between Jews and Samaritans was very hostile um, probably a lot like the strain today between Israelis and Palestinians. It was, it was intense. And Jesus and his disciples, they needed lodging for the night, and so they request hospitality from a Samaritan village, which was a major important thing in that culture to honor hospitality, uh, even for folks that you might not want to be around. But what happens, instead of honoring just kind of the custom— Um, they're refused hospitality. No hospitality for you guys. So James and John, by the way, two of the three guys who had just watched the transfiguration thing go down, Uh, James and John also get a nickname in another place from Jesus. Anybody know what they get nicknamed? Yes, Sons of Thunder, right? Yeah. So these guys are super mellow, very chill, very calm. Not so much. Um, They are offended. They are very offended. And kind of my take on how it went down what they would have said sort of here to Jesus in less words than I'm about to use they were like hey jesus <laughs> can we do that thing that's in the bible that elijah did you know it's in the bible so it's got to be god's will that thing where elijah called down fire from heaven and burns up the enemies oh we love that passage i mean we got chapter and verse jesus second kings chapter 1 look it up jesus it's right in there can we call down fire from heaven and burn them up which means Jesus, can you call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Can you be like Elijah? Because we would love to see that, Jesus. Because that story that he's referring to, that story is in the Old Testament, right? It's the prophets, right? Elijah, the story with the fire, 2 Kings, chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. The story was the king of Israel was upset, wanted to arrest Elijah. So he sends out an officer and 50 soldiers to arrest Elijah. The officer gets to him, says to Elijah, Oh, man of God, you're under arrest. Elijah says, If I'm a man of God, let fire come from heaven and burn up you and your 50 men. Boom! Drone strike. And they're all dead. Elijah might have some anger management issues here. Um but the king like people in power do oftentimes sends another officer and another 50 men man of god you're under arrest oh yeah well if i'm a man of god let fire come down and burn up you and your men boom he just nukes them fries them all the king though is he's relentless probably an idiot too but he finds a third officer can you believe poor guy right can you imagine like you've heard what's happened you're the third officer 50 more guys, they know what's gone down. You're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, right? So this officer goes, and it says he begs. Like, oh, okay, Elijah, man of God, come on, man. Like, I'm between a rock and a hard place here. Just would you, would you please cool it with the fire and stuff? Come on, just. And so Elijah finally relents. He goes to the king, but but not before 102 men have been burned up. Israelites, too, burned up. Well, James and John, they, that's the story they're talking about here. They love that story. They probably learned it as like little boys in Sabbath school. Here they are, Luke chapter 9, and they're like, ooh, it's time. Can we do that, Jesus? It's in the Bible. Must be God's will because it's in the Bible. Can we do that? And Luke tells us, verse 55, but Jesus rebuked, that's a strong word, rebuked them. I picture Jesus saying, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you guys? We've been at this for almost three years by now. You know that's not how I operate. The Son of Man, you've heard me teach the Son of Man, did not come to destroy lives but to save them. See, the point of these two stories is Jesus is coming up against a mindset that had all kinds of assumptions, and people would probably think, well, yeah, I can use the Bible to argue with Jesus. See, but sometimes I think we think maybe that, you know, some of those things in the Bible, they're just impractical. These teachings of Jesus, they're not really doable, so let's just revert to the ways of the kingdom of the world, or let's revert to the Old Testament law and prophets and how we treat other people, and... Um, I mean, you can do that. Just don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. See, that's why in this story, this episode of the transfiguration, it's clearly demonstrated that Jesus has authority over the law and the prophets. And when the Father says what he says, I believe the Father wants those words that he spoke to Peter, James, and John to ring in our ears as well. When we go down the wrong path, I sense God saying, stop it. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Because Jesus is what God has to say. Now, I had to cut a whole big chunk because I really wanted to cover, like, Don't walk out of here thinking I'm saying the Old Testament doesn't matter. The Old Testament matters. Totally does. Um, Some people say, I don't bother reading the Old Testament. And it's a fair question. But here's one of the reasons it's important to read and know and study the Old Testament. Um, You can't understand the New Testament without knowing the Old Testament. It provides context and story from the larger story that we operate from. And so... um, Read the Old Testament. Study the Old Testament. There's so much good in there. But when you get to something that seems off or different or doesn't jive with Jesus, um, remember this. Everything that we read in the Old Testament, we need to read through the lens of Jesus. We look through the lens of Jesus to understand it. Um, See, Jesus is the ultimate Authority, and if there's a confusing thing in the Old Testament, and there's plenty of stuff that I'm like, I'm still trying to figure that one out, right? Um, I know my wife says this all the time. I, there's a uh, Dr. Megan Good. She says something to this as well in her book that I highly recommend: Unwrapping Scripture. So good, Unwrapping Scripture. But, but um, I kind of have Heidi's voice in my head with this because she says it all the time. If it doesn't look like Jesus you're reading something it doesn't look like jesus there must be more to the story that we don't understand so go towards jesus every time just go toward jesus every single time now to wrap this up um here's the question so why does this transfiguration story matter to us and after i worked on this sermon quite a bit um yesterday i didn't know the answer to that one so you're dismissed you go home god bless you thanks for coming yeah um no but heidi actually my wife um she really helped um remind me tell me show me why again this is so important for us here's why this story is important here's the invitation actually a question for us do you want to know do you want to know god do you want to know what god looks like do you want to know what God's heart is like? Then look at Jesus. Get to know Jesus, because Jesus is what God has to say. Maybe, maybe you're someone like me who often is... Confused about what God expects or wants. Maybe there's stuff in the Old Testament that you read and you're like, wow, that seems to go against the way of Jesus. And some of us sometimes get kind of hung up on those things and go, well, I don't even know that about following Jesus because I'm hung up on this stuff here that I don't quite get. And let me say, if that's you and you feel that way, like, first of all, that's totally understandable. But hear me, you don't have to have all the Bible and what you believe about the Bible sorted out before you start following Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Even as you try to study and learn and better understand the scriptures, especially if you start feeling confused, just put your eyes back on Jesus. Get to know Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say. Some of you, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and and your kind of um, spiritual growth phase is you you really want to know, you really want to grasp what does it mean now to to love God and to more deeply love others you've got that question and you wonder what the answers are get to know Jesus just get to know Jesus yes get to know him through his voice get to know his voice through teaching in scripture that's how we know God's voice and know what it sounds like scripture really helps with that um and then um Try to learn to hear what God might be speaking to you. In fact, uh, go to the class that starts next Sunday that they mentioned earlier, right? It's uh, nine o'clock, no, second service? First service, nine o'clock, just come early, go to the class and then come to church. Come to that engaging scripture during first service. And then um, we mentioned earlier the practice and presence that's happening first weekend in March, uh, Friday night, Saturday, morning. Um, it's going to help you get to know Jesus and learn to hear Jesus' voice in, in some amazing ways. So um, now as the worship team comes, again, I just want to say, friends, I want to encourage you to spend your time, your focus, getting to know Jesus again, because Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God has to say, so we want to learn to listen to Jesus, to trust what Jesus teaches us in Scripture, to take up his invitation to follow him, to be a disciple. to trust in his way, his kingdom, his teaching, especially if it seems to go against the grain of what we would rather do, trust that he knows what he's talking about. We want to look at Jesus and get to know Jesus because when we do that, we begin to experience God's grace, goodness, God's love, and the love of God is a game changer, you guys. It's a game changer. It is life-changing. In fact, that's why every week when I end our service with ascending blessing, one of the things that I say in there every week is go now and live loved and be loved. And I always wish that I could pause for a really long time on the live loved. <clears throat> live loved. Because living loved by God changes everything. And I know that's true for me and for many of you, you've experienced, like when, when you start to live in the love of God and experience his life-changing love, you find that your heart gets filled with his love. We are living love, then we are filled with his love, then suddenly it starts to overflow from us to others. We live loved, receiving from God, and then and only then can we authentically be love. See, when I'm connected to the love of Jesus, when I'm living loved, my heart starts to respond, and then suddenly the most natural thing in the world is that that we would be love, that we would be the light and the love of Jesus. It's not like we have to go crank it out and try really hard to be love and to crank it out to you know out of duty and obligation to shine that light brighter no 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 no. see when we are people who have received and been filled with the life and the love and the grace of Jesus then it starts to overflow from us to others or, or when we've been around and we're around this bright light of Jesus that is revealing to us the good, suddenly his light starts to reflect off of us. We start to reflect to others what God says through Jesus. And that's part of the way that we can actually bring lights into the darkness of the people around us who don't know what God has to say. Friends, that's so important in this world that so desperately needs to know the love of God. It's so important that our lives as we live loved, begin to be a reflection of the love of Jesus. That's how the light of Jesus will shine. So the question is this, will you say yes? Will you say yes to getting to know Jesus? Because Jesus is what God has to say. Will you stand with me? going to sing a song that I um, invite you to let those words soak in and become your prayer. Jesus, um, yes, we, we do. We want to get to know you, to be filled with your love, to learn and hear your voice. We want to live loved and then desire to be loved to those around us who you send me to